So I have a question, Pastor Stevie. So is being gone for one Wednesday enough to come to the free dinner for the next steps? Sweet. Nice. I, we played it the right way. That was the plan the whole time. Uh, man, thanks for coming today. Time Change Sunday, also known uh, if you work at a church, it's the sleepiest Sunday of the year. Ask any pastor, they will tell you that. So thanks for being here. Thanks for singing. Man, it's been an honor to be here. Uh, it is our last Sunday here after 11 and a half years. I better get to the first page of my notes here so I don't miss anything important. So the obvious first question is, how do you fit 11 and a half years at one place in the 30 minutes of talking? You don't do that, right? You're not going to fit 11 and a half years into 30 minutes. So I will not be attempting that, but I will start just by saying a couple things. Uh, man, so grateful for each and every one of you. Um, this church will always, always be special, uh, a special place for myself, for my family. When we started here, uh, my wife Chandra and I, we were still pretty newly married. We were not even officially parents yet. Uh, a lot of you know we have a daughter that we adopted, and we were working on that. Took her into our home. Uh, we'd been married. Started working on that when uh, we'd married married about a year, and uh, we looked back on that and pe- and we're like, man, that maybe was not our uh, not our wisest move. But man, God was in it. Um, we'd been married not very long. My first official Sunday here was my thirtieth birthday. Uh, it was like my official tryout Sunday. Here we are. Uh, coming up on 14 years of marriage, we've got a kid graduated from college, we're so proud of Christina. Two others, John and Luke, who are in school, they're seven and five. Um, I remember on that day, uh, my 30th birthday, my official uh, tryout day here, they immediately, Sean and Christina, bl- uh, blindfolded me and took me skydiving. Like, drove me to the skydiving place and took my took blindfold off. Uh, but when I say this church will always be special, I don't necessarily mean the building, uh, although there's lots uh, of certain specific memories that are tied to this specific place. I went over a few of them first service. I'll do that. There's a lot of my personal blood, sweat, and tears tied up in this specific building, like every corner and surface and everything. I've been all around it. Uh, I was on a lift installing these uh, little bars for lights. We replaced the lights on them several times since then. But like my first weekend here, I was on a lift uh, helping put... Now I can't see anything because I looked into this. Uh, we're, I was up there with some guys putting those on there. I've been up on this ceiling more times than I can count. Probably second most to Pastor Stan, but he's been up there more than me. But other than that, I've probably been up there more than anybody else. Him and I put uh, these uh, lights on the ceiling together right before Easter. Man, that was a long time, seven or eight years ago. Um, I spent the night, there, my office was upstairs, spent the night on the couch up there more than a few times, not because I was in trouble, because my wife was having a star's fifth and sixth grade girl sleepover at our house, and I did not want to be there for that. So I would come here with the dog, sleep on the couch, watch TV, have a, good, a grand old time. Um, man, I was here for the infamous fire sprinkler break, which I think was also snowmageddon year. Uh, I was driving by here, a uh, cold winter night, and I saw a fire truck coming this way with his lights on, and then Pastor Shane called me and said, hey, fire department's on the way to the church. Can you go? Are you close by? So I whipped around and followed him in here, came in, and there was a waterfall coming down those stairs. And my guitars and everything are up there. And I was thinking, man, I hope that is not coming out of my office. And it was not, thankfully enough. It broke like part way up there. But we spent all night vacuuming the water up. That was a Saturday night, right? And we had church the next day. Um, I was here, of course, for the, uh, the uh, pandemic last year and the great Idaho earthquake of 2020. We all lived through that, right? Have we rebuilt from that yet? Is everyone good? Um, I was here with my boys. And I'd been in a big earthquake in Seattle. And I knew immediately what it was. And, but I did not immediately know what to do. You're supposed to go stand in a doorway, right? And I scooped them up and ran down the stairs and stood underneath all of this stuff that was swaying, right? <laughs> they were like, what is this? I explained earthquake, you know. Um, and they were just, you know, they were not scared of it. They were like kind of hoping we'd get a little more earthquaking because they thought it was kind of cool. Oh, man, I remember vividly. One thing I'll never forget is the first Wednesday we did, we got shut down. Uh, and standing here, it was on a Wednesday night, and Pastor Dan was going to do his Bible study. We had some cardboard cutouts out here, <laughs> some video cameras set up. I, rem- I will never forget, like, picking up my guitar, and we had the guys, uh, Leo and Matt, come down, and we'd strung a TV down here so we could see when we were online, and just, like, singing songs to a camera and thinking, I don't know how long we're going to be doing this. I mean, it's a vivid memory, and Pastor Shane and I talked about it, and how difficult that was for a little while to do. Um, anyway, I could just go on this long list of specific stuff. I, I mean, I've got a scar on my arm from when we put these lights on. I've almost got crushed by this one-person lift that you're supposed to be able to lift up here with one person. That I think there was three of us on at a time, and it almost uh, squashed me to death. Um, my wife could probably 
repeat similar uh, things to you. My daughter could, too, of just specific places, things they've done here that they remember. But this building, the lights and all the stuff that we've put together, um, it could fall down tomorrow and the church would still be standing. Because the, the church is not the building, the church is you. The church is the people. The church is you and me. Um, and the life lived with each one of you here uh, is a thing that will stay in our hearts forever. Uh, you know, just the times walking through life, uh, praying with you together over unknown stuff, you praying with us over unknown stuff. We've laughed and we've cried with many, many of you over the years. And it's not because there's anything super special about us, but it's because that's what you do with your church family. You go and you find a church, and I encourage you for the rest of your life, friends, uh, even if you move away from Kenai, find a church to be your church family and live life with them. Um, those memories, all of them, I could stand here all day and talk about all sorts of memories and make everyone all teary-eyed, but those are between us and you, so don't need to go over that, but just know we're thankful for each, each and every one of you, thankful for each memory, and uh, we'll remember that stuff forever, and we'll remember this church forever. This is the only church our boys have ever known, um, and... Uh, I was just grateful for it. I'm grateful for the time I've spent working underneath Pastor Stan. Uh, really have learned how to love a family while in ministry. Uh, when we say in ministry, that means you work at a church uh, full time. And I've learned how to love my family while doing that and, and learning how to pastor people at the same time because you've only got so much emotion in you, right? And you got to love your family and love the people. And every pastor in the history of the world will always say, oh, family comes first. And not every guy lives it, but Pastor Stan lives it. And he showed me how to live it. And uh, he allows his staff to live in. I'm so grateful for that, Pastor Stan. So thank you for that. These are lessons um, I will lean on literally for the rest of my life. Um, just how to work at a church and be in ministry, take care of my family. Um, hope I can do it well. When we came back here, uh, when we came here, clear back 2009, we felt like our purpose was to help Pastor Stan accomplish his vision for CUNA to the best of our ability, however that looked. So we showed up, and I was part-time for the first year, full-time after that, because we restarted the zone, and I took over youth, and pretty much did whatever else I could do to get here all the time. And uh, not that uh, what needs to be done here is done, because I am 100% sure the best days of this church are ahead of it. Um, and I'm proud of how far we've come here, and I'm proud of all the people that have been reached for Jesus while we're here, not because of us, but just that we got to be a part of it. But I believe the best days at this church uh, are ahead. I really do. Um, grateful to have been a part of it. As far as where we are headed, I believe the best days are ahead for us. I can't tell you exactly where. Um, don't know 100% for sure uh, anything we're comfortable sharing yet. But no, no matter what it is, it will be good because God is in it. Amen. We're just convinced that God is in it. And we know he is. Uh, you've heard me say a few times, if you talk to me about this at all, you've heard me say for all things there is a season. And you've heard that before. It comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter three. And uh, I've gotten to tell a few of you the thing about seasons is we don't get to decide when they change. God decides when they change. Even the physical seasons, God decides, right? We can even think we have a handle on the seasons and then they can change again or they can change back to what it was. Remember a few weeks ago, it was 65 and it was beautiful and we were just wearing t-shirts and driving out with our windows down. And two days later, it was 40 and I was wearing three layers because I was cold again, Right? It felt like spring had happened, but it hadn't. It's back to where it was. And God does that, man. He moves us around. He changes the season when he wants to, and we don't get to control it as much as we would like to. Uh, you know, we'll probably spend, humanity spend the rest of its life trying to figure out how to change the seasons, and we can't because God's in charge of them. And in our lives, where we go, God is in charge where we go and where we don't. Um, I'm sure when we land, uh, whatever place, whatever church, you'll hear about it in some way, shape, or form because you have the internet and we have the internet and it manages to connect people right and uh we will i'm sure see you we'll be in cuna uh for the time being um but we just appreciate your prayers as we navigate it it's a it'll be a different thing for us this is like i said the only church our, our boys have ever known my wife and i um a lot of our marriages happen here so it'll be new for us but news not always bad right right come on news not always bad it can be good um but we're grateful for our season here, and we're grateful that it's been long and good and fruitful, and we're excited for the next season of this church um, that you're already walking into, the next season for us, and it will be good because God is in it, and that's the truth. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a famous scripture in uh, Micah chapter 6. I'm going to take a drink of this water while you turn your, pa everyone has your paper Bibles, right? Does anyone even carry those anymore? A few people? A few people? I do have mine up here. Uh, Micah chapter 6, our title this morning is from that scripture, Act Justly, 
love mercy, walk humbly. <clears throat> when you do a message like this, this is your last Sunday, maybe after uh, nearly 600 Sundays in the same place. That's a lot of Sundays, right? But that's how many Sundays I've been here doing church with Pastor Stan. Um, and if you put the Wednesdays together, that's over a thousand services that we've done together. And we've just lived a lot of life, done a lot of church together, and it's been awesome. But you get tempted to try to come up with like the best advice you could ever do. And we'll talk about some stuff from the Bible, which is good advice, but I will not try to give you the best advice ever in one sentence. But I did look up some good and some funny advice. For example, if you are too lazy to wash a cup, you can use a pepper. I know, giggle, that looks kind of gross, right? Tea bag and a pepper? Yeah, pe pepper tea. Yeah, maybe that's what they were going for. Um, if you do not have any ice for your drinks, you can use frozen vegetables. I'm not sure if the same person came up with both of those ideas, but I don't think that would work for very long if it works at all. Um, some other good advice. You know, there's never enough time in the morning, so you can try combining brushing your teeth with your breakfast. I don't actually advise trying any of these, but they are funny. Um, this next one's pretty good. Uh, if you leave your... Oh, no, no, wait. This is the manicure one. Uh, so, ladies, there's a thing called a three-color manicure. If you need a manicure, you can't afford it. You get this toothpaste that has three colors. And then you just put it all over your fingernails. No? See, <laughs> it wouldn't work? <laughs> toothpaste is more useful than you originally thought it was. I'll just tell you that. Um, if you leave your windshield wipers up... The police can't give you a ticket, even if you park in a bad place. <laughs> Try that one and let me know how it goes. Uh, another good one here. If you spend too much money on car repairs, you need a cup holder. You can use the roll of tape. Tape the last part to the dashboard and then put the cup inside of it. I don't think that would really work on the roads in CUNA, especially if you're on this construction right here. Finally, this is my favorite. If your tires are too old, make them look new with a marker. I told first service, I love the look on that guy's face. He's just so proud of himself. Like, look at this amazing idea I came up with. <laughs> so there you go, some advice for life. Don't actually try any of those. But if you try the broccoli as ice, let me know how, how it works. I'm not going to try it, but still, I want to know how it works. Anyway, uh, in this little bit of the Old Testament, there's some better advice. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. So let's read, uh, read those uh, two verses together, and then we'll tackle those thoughts one at a time. Micah chapter 6 says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. It's helpful, always helpful for me to understand some context. It's helpful to understand when this was written and what was going on. This was written between 700 and 600 BC. Um, it's a little confusing if you look at the Old Testament dates because the years counted down until Jesus came. So 700 was earlier than 600. And then it started counting up when Jesus came to earth. So isn't it crazy that our very calendar is based on the life of Jesus, even those who deny that he was real, deny that he's the savior of the world. Our calendar is based on it. Just, you know, that's a free thought. Um, Micah is considered one of the minor prophets. He was doing his prophesying about the same time, though, as some of the more well-known prophets like Isaiah and Hosea. He was speaking from God to the people just in a different area of the countryside. Um, he had probably witnessed two major events that gave gave his words some weight. So if you read the Old Testament, there's all these major events that we preach and teach about. Um, but the Israelites, just to sum it up, they would obey God and things would be good. They would disobey good and things would disobey good. Disobey God and things would be bad. That was kind of the way it worked. And they were always going back and forth. Um, Micah had witnessed the destruction of Israel by the Assyrians in 721 BC. That's in First Chronicles chapter 21. The Assyrians came in, just wiped uh, most of the nation out. And there was an angel of the Lord involved in that because it was, there was judgment involved. But he also witnessed God miraculously saving Jerusalem about 20 years later when that same angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, Second Kings chapter 19. He had seen both of those things happen. So he had some cachet with these people, right? He knew what he was talking about. Um, those people of God in the Old Testament were just always going back and forth between not serving God 
and serving God. And then when they would serve God, he would take care of them in supernatural ways, right? The pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day and uh, all those sorts of things. But they want things to be good. And that's why they're asking the questions they are here. They're asking essentially to the Lord, God, what physical thing can I give you to make you happy? What can I do, God, to make you happy? What box can I check in order to make you happy? What formula can I use to get what I want? Do we have any Excel formula people here that know how to use Excel formulas? A few people? Not that many. I don't know if my wife is. You're in good company, dear. But she loves her Excel formulas, right? But you, we want, they want to be able to type a thing in and get a result out the other side. Okay, God, what do we do to make you happy? I said first service, I, don't, I saw John Ford, my little guy, running around. Um, uh, our kids do that same thing, right? They are willing to do anything to get what they want. He decided he wanted this $6 Optimus Prime on Amazon, and he's willing to do anything to get it, right? So he wanted to do extra chores, so finally we went and cleaned up in the backyard. He got five bucks so he could order his $6 Optimus Prime on Amazon that will probably break within the first five minutes he has it. I told him that, but he has to learn the hard way, I guess, right? Um, anyway, that was the formula he used. What they want here is the Lord's blessing and protection, and they're trying to find out what they can give in order to make it happen. But here's the problem. They're asking a question they already know the answer to. It's just that they want to do something besides the answer they already know. A lot of times we already know uh, the right thing to do, and we're looking for an easier way, right? We'll talk in a minute about what that answer is, how it applies to us. And I'll just give you a spoiler. It's in the title. Um, but they kind of go through a quick list of things to try. First thing they say is, shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old? Uh, calves a year old is, a, is a, uh, it's an important thing because it's the best quality sacrifice that they could think of. This time in history, it was common though, excuse me, for, uh, for a sacrifice uh, of a year old calf to be to the false god Baal. And it was something that all kinds of non-God-fearing people did. So people that did not know the real God, they were trying to sacrifice a calf that was a year old to appease their fake gods. So they picked this tradition up from them. Even doing it as a burnt offering is significant language because a burnt offering was seen as a greater sacrifice. You see, if you brought just a year-old calf, it was some of the best meat, right? And you could bring it, you could sacrifice it on the altar, but if it wasn't a burnt offering, you could then use it for a meal. You were allowed to do that in this tradition. But if it was a burnt offering, it was a bigger sacrifice because you couldn't eat it. So they're trying to think, of, what's the single biggest sacrifice I can do for you, God, to make you happy? Understanding, though, that as they're speaking, they weren't on the right track. Um, have you ever done that with your spouse before, right? Where you, like, you're, you know, you're maybe in a, some sort of disagreement, and you're driving home, and you're thinking, I know exactly what I'm going to say. And uh, I'm going to say this thing. It's going to prove my point, and they're totally going to hear my side. And it comes out of your mouth, and you're like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever thought of, <laughs> right? <laughs> you just know that it's wrong as soon as it comes out. This is kind of what... This is kind of what's happening. And they have this great idea. And as it's coming out, they're like, oh, that's not going to be good enough. I better come up with a better thing. So they turn from quality, uh, the, the year-old calf, to quantity. They say, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Essentially, if one prized calf isn't enough, how about I give you all my cattle and all my oil? Is that going to check the box? Is that going to fulfill the formula? Finally, they offer the grandest, biggest sacrifice they can think of. Maybe they're getting a little bit desperate, feeling like what they offered so far isn't the answer, and they say, shall I offer my firstborn? It's even more of a surprising question because these are the people of God, and God expressly forbids this exact thing, Leviticus 18, 21. He says it's an abomination to sacrifice a human being. Way early in the Old Testament, there's the deal where Abraham thinks he ought to sacrifice Isaac, but God tells him he doesn't have to, and then God says, you'll never do that. You don't have to sacrifice a human. Once again, this is an idea, though, they would have gotten from people who were serving other gods. There were people around them who were sacrificing uh, their family members in order to appease false gods. So they were getting these ideas from outside of God. I think there's a couple important principles we can draw out from this that apply to us. One of them is this, and this is a good thing to write down or whatever. If you'd like, they were trying to solve a spiritual problem with a worldly solution. They were trying to give God material possessions and what he wanted was their heart. How often do we do that, friends? We try and solve a God problem with a worldly solution. We know a lot of times that maybe the answer is more time with God or changing up our priorities, but instead we buy something new. Like we have this hole inside of us. And again, I'm saying we, because including myself in the equation, I certainly probably gone down this road before. 
Um, we know we're missing something, but we go buy ourselves a new phone or uh, a new pair of shoes or a new car or a new house or you know something like that because we think it's going to solve what's going on inside of us. <clears throat> or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe we decide, okay, God, I'll give you the material thing, but I'm not making a change in my heart. Maybe you're willing to give over the nice car or the fancy house or give extra tithe or, or whatever, but we're not willing to make a change in our hearts. Often those material things that we give, they can make us look like good people or maybe even good Christians on the outside, but the things that happen in secret are wrecking the condition of our hearts. We're saying, okay, fine, God, I'll, yeah, I'll show up Sundays and Wednesdays, but um, we're not willing to deal with what's going on inside of us. A lot of times I think what it boils down to as Christians in this world is we're willing to show up to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, but in between, we're totally not willing to open this. We'll open every other thing, right? I'm certainly guilty of it. Facebook 15 times a day on my phone or or whatever, but we're not willing to crack this thing open and let God speak to us. Uh, Maybe we're totally willing to post our favorite worship song on Instagram or whatever social media you like, but we're not willing to surrender to God the stuff we pull up with our remote control on our TVs at home. I talked about this a couple Wednesdays ago. Man, it's so important if we want to be close to God, if we want to give him our hearts to think about the stuff that we're watching, you know, even if it only has a little bit of stuff in there that we know we shouldn't see. Um, this is the kind of sacrifice God was asking them to make. Give me your whole heart and your whole life. I think a good way to illustrate it is with the age old saying, uh, you guys ever heard this? Sure you have, how do you spell love? T-I-M-E, Right? How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. Uh, I have really, really good parents, great parents who I know. They love me as much as anything we can love on this earth. But the proof of that is not in a single material thing. They've never bought me or given me a thing that makes me know, hey, my parents love me. Um, when I was young, we didn't have a ton of stuff. My parents were in college. Um, and my dad became a dentist later on. And it, so it's kind of run the gamut. But there's not a single thing that they've ever given me that makes me know that they love me. Um, but I have always known they have. The proof of their love for me is the endless amounts of time they spent with me growing up, their unconditional love for me uh, for as long as I can remember. Um, I've talked to you before about, uh, you know, sports has always been a big part of my life, and I went to this little tiny Christian school in Boise. And because we're a little tiny Christian school, we played little tiny towns, and we always had to drive to the little tiny towns, right? So we're playing like Greenleaf and Wilder and Notice and Council and Cambridge and this little school called Rimrock that's not even actually a town. It's like a school and build a bunch of little tiny towns. Is it a town? Not a town, yes. I thought so. Yeah, it's, just, it's way out there is what it is, and it's out in the boonies. And uh, so we would, you know, we catch the van or the bus after school. My parents would get off of work, and they would truck over two hours or whatever to go watch me maybe play in a game or maybe not play in a game. Right? And they spent all this time going back and forth. They didn't make it to every game, but they made sure one of them usually was, or they made sure my granddad was, or something. I knew they loved me because they showed up at those things to watch me ride the bench sometimes, right? Because they're my parents. They love me. They spent the time. I do the same thing with my boys now. I have a little video queued up for you. Any chance to show a video of my boys? And don't worry, it ends well when it starts, (laughs) I guess. So watch it. It is in slow motion for some reason, but they were sledding about twice this fast. If they had the volume up, you'd hear John squealing right now. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So here's what happened about a month ago. If you have, for some reason you couldn't hear him. He was just like, squealing in delight all the way down. My boys, they love the snow. They got that from me. Um, but about a month ago, it was pouring rain down here, and I've spent my, a bunch of my life in Idaho, so I knew that it was probably snowing. That was that stack of rock right below Boise State. I knew it was snowing, probably about 6,000 feet. So I picked John up, kind of changed what we were doing around. I picked John up from school. I already had Luke because he was kindergarten. So on a Friday, it was my day off. Picked him up, came home, got our snow stuff, threw the sled in the car, drove up there, stomped around the snow for an hour and a half, um, there's like a, I don't know if you can see it on there, there's like a rock wall, and their favorite thing that day was they would just pretend to accidentally walk underneath it, and I would throw snow down on top of them. I mean, it was just like the funnest thing ever. They took that sled up there, and they sledded, but you know what? That sled is still up there, because we forgot it. <laughs> and they totally don't care. They do not care about the material thing. They don't care about the sled. They care about the time 
that those two and I spent stomping around the snow, driving up there another couple of miles to get the hot chocolate, driving back down, falling asleep on the way down, listening to their favorite music. That's the stuff that they care about, right? They couldn't care less about the sled. Hopefully it's still there and I'll pick it up next time I go up there. I don't know. Um, but it's just, just a small example, right? They don't care about the material thing. They care about the time I spent with them. I learned that from my parents. So it's the giving of our lives, um, not in any particular material thing that we can give God. There's another Old Testament scripture that sums it up well. First Samuel uh, 15, 22 says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Giving our hearts is better than giving a material thing. But if we truly have obedience in our lives, our actions will reflect the conditions of our heart. The two things go together. I've used the example before with you. I can tell you I'm a mechanic. I'm a mechanic all day long. I'm not saying I am. Don't call me to fix your car. It'll go badly for you. But I can tell you I'm a mechanic all day long. And I can have a garage full of fancy tools. If I never fix anything, am I really a mechanic? I'm not, right? The tools don't make me a mechanic. I can say whatever I want to, but my actions would prove whether I am or whether I'm not. But in the getting of our lives, there sometimes is stuff we give up and there's an action we take, which is where that, this next part comes in. There's a specific way we can live our lives that moves us towards God. The prophet Micah says an important statement to them. After they ask these things, they're spinning their wheels. What can we do? What can we do? He says, he has showed you, O oh man, what is good. He has showed you. Essentially, he's saying, you shouldn't need me to tell you this because you already know, but here it goes, I'll tell you again. I've told you over and over. You've experienced it over and over again, but it's okay, I'll tell you again. It's kind of like when you feel you really need to ask a question, but as soon as it's out of your mouth, you already know the answer, right? You're hoping it'll go one way, but it's probably gonna go the way you don't want it to go, and as soon as it's out of your mouth, you know the answer. This is kind of how it was. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. Micah prophesied it over him anyway. And that's where we're gonna land this morning, um, because we need direction in the crazy world that we live in, right? We need better advice than using uh, uh, pepper as a cup, right? We need something better than that. In this insane world we're living in, we're trying to best raise our kids in. You know how crazy this world is? Uh, I saw a thing this week. There are people who host parties that are focused on taking away height privilege. Everyone heard of height privilege? That essentially means you're mad that other people are taller than you, I think. <laughs> Um, and at these parties, everyone wears special shoes so that everyone is the same height. So, you know, you try to make everyone 6'5". So I would get to, I'm 5'7", so I'd wear shoes that would make me 6'5", and we would all walk around and be the same height. There is a picture of it, and you're probably wondering about it, and I'm not even going to dignify it by putting it up there, because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> what if someone comes in who's taller than the special shoes make you, right? What if the party's a 6'5 party, and someone comes in who's 7 feet? What do you do? Do you do taller shoes? I mean, I have a lot of questions about these parties. <laughs> but that's the kind of crazy world we live in, right? People are, are, are spending their time doing that sort of stuff, and we got to figure out how to raise our kids and serve God in the midst of all that. And that's a silly example. There's way worse stuff going on all over the place. You and I both know that. So how do we do it? In that kind of a world, how do we live in a way in which our heart truly honors God? It can all go in these three buckets. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly, with your God. So let's tackle those uh, here for a moment. What does it mean to act justly? I'm someone who likes concrete steps, right? If I'm supposed to do a thing, I want to know how I can accomplish it. It doesn't mean I will actually go do the concrete steps, but I at least want to know how, right? Here's some concrete steps to acting justly. There is the inside part that no one sees with the exception of ourselves and God. And then there's the outside part that is the result of what's going on inside. One doesn't happen without the other, right? Our outside actions reflect what's going on inside of us. And if we have uh, good stuff, if, if good stuff is happening on the outside, that probably means it's good on the inside. Not for sure. You can trick people sometimes, but the two things go together. One doesn't happen without the other, but to act justly, here's some concrete steps. To act justly means to be impartial. To act justly means to be impartial, make fair and right decisions to the best of our ability in our personal and business lives. We, are, we try our best to be fair to everyone we run into in everything that we do. To not show favoritism to important or well put together people. Um, this one, I was researching what it means to act justly. It kind of went a different direction than I thought. There's a whole section in James devoted to this, chapter two, verses one through 13, and we don't have time to read 
the whole thing this morning. Um, but here are a few verses, just so you have the idea of what God says about being impartial, about being just. Uh, chapter two, verse one in James, my brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. It's pretty cut and dry. Uh, verses eight and nine, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing it right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. If you show favoritism, you sin. Man, that's an indictment, right? It's not, this is a good idea. It's you sin if you show favoritism. God made every person in his image. And when we treat everyone with dignity, we are acknowledging that, right? We treat everybody the same. Now we still use wisdom, okay? Uh, we aren't saying that every opinion is equal, right? There's the old saying, opinions are like armpits. Everybody has one, right? Everyone's opinion is not equal. Um, but we are saying is that people, as people, everyone is equal and they're made in the image of God, no matter what type of decisions they are or are not making. So the richest person in the world if we are being just, if we're being impartial, we treat them the same as the poor guy on the corner or whoever, right? That's how we are just and impartial. And that's what God asks us to do in James. Um, part of being just is to be accurate. <clears throat> one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite books, Blue Like Jazz, I believe I read this on a Wednesday uh, a few to several years ago. I don't know. Anybody ever read this book, Blue Like Jazz? A few of you, hey, Megan is here, she's read it. So I would advise you this, if you want to be challenged, read this book. I don't endorse everything he says. He's a Christian, but he says some things that are a little out there. So I don't endorse it all. But if you want to be challenged, read it. I love a thing he says though, on page 20. Um, and it's gonna be up there on the screen. If I can get to the right page. I just like reading it out of the paper book, even though I could read it off the screen, obviously. <laughs> it says this. I think every conscious person, every person who is awake to the functioning principles within his reality has a moment where he stops blaming the problems in the world on groupthink, on humanity and authority and starts to face himself. I hate this more than anything. This is the hardest principle within Christian spirituality for me to deal with. The problem is not out there. The problem is the needy beast of a thing that lives in my chest. The problem is in my heart. We do our very best not to exaggerate and make ourselves look better than we really are, but that's not what the world tells you, right? The world tells you, man, you better tell everyone how great you are. You'll never get ahead at your job if you don't tell everyone how great you are. I would take it a step further. When it comes to being accurate and truthful, we aren't interested in making others look worse for our own benefit. That's the opposite of, side of that, right? The great temptation, make others look worse so we can get more credit. We've got to be able to tell the truth to ourselves when no one but ourselves and God are listening. And it starts on the inside in order to live this out. We've got to ask ourselves hard questions, right? Um, why did I really not get that project done on time? Was it really someone else's fault or was it a thing I did? Could I have gotten up earlier or managed my time better? Did I take more credit than I should have for that success? Right? Maybe I was part of it. Maybe someone else was part of it. Maybe I got all the credit. Did I take more credit than I should have? Um, these are just examples I came up with thinking of in my own life. Why was I actually harder on my kids or my spouse than I should have been? What actually happened? Did, did, did they really disobey me or was I just having a rough day and I took it out on them, right? We got to look inside of ourselves. Why did I tell a half-truth when I knew full well what the truth was and the whole truth wouldn't have even been an issue anyway, right? We look inside ourselves. The problem, like Donald Miller says, is the needy beast within us. We got to examine our own heart and say, what is in there? We gotta be honest with ourselves if we wanna be honest with other people. If we're going to act justly, we've got to examine what's inside of our hearts and be accurate. Uh, we've gotta be lawful if we wanna be just. God tells us that he establishes earthly authorities in Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven. I think probably every pastor anywhere has quoted this in the past year as we've come up against regulations maybe we did or didn't like. The entire thing is very challenging and instructive in our current climate. I think many of us have had this conversation a ton lately. What should we do? What shouldn't we do? I encourage you to read the entire section on your own of Romans chapter 13, but all we need to do is read the first verse. Let, ev let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Man, that's where it starts and ends, right? God put the people in charge, and we have to listen to what they say. To summarize, we've got to obey those in authority over us, whether we like it or not, as long as it's not asking us to go against the Bible. 
right? If it's, as long as it's biblical, not against the Bible, then we got to do what they're asking us to do. And I will just say this with a smiley face. I told first service when I'm texting, I don't even use emojis usually. I use the old school equals in parentheses, smiley face. Um, I'll just say this with a smiley face. Our kids are watching us, right? If I want my kids to obey certain rules that I give them and they don't understand the reason for them or they don't think they're necessary, if I want them to do that, but then I don't go obey rules I don't think are necessary, then there's an issue there, right? They're gonna be less likely to listen to me. And that's just the smiley face, God's honest truth. And I won't camp on that forever, but uh, man, apply it in your own lives. Just like I'm trying to. Finally, to act justly, we've got to be righteous. The Bible defines what is right and wrong with a period, right? There's a whole bunch of truth in here. If we live the truth that's in here, life is generally pretty good. We do what's right, even when no one is looking. Even if it costs us time or money. Even if it costs us time or money. The perfect example would be if we get too much change at the store, right? And we don't realize it till we get outside. Say you're supposed to get $5 in change and they accidentally give you 10 and you get outside. And if you're a good little Dave Ramsey disciple, you go to put it in your cash envelope and you realize, man, they gave me $5 more than they should have. Now, it costs you time because you have to go back in you know, take however long it would take to go in there, sweat the line, give them the five bucks back, and it costs you the money that you could have kept. That's what being righteous is, right? It might cost you time and money, but it matters that we are righteous if we want to act justly. It costs us both time and money to make that right. But that's what God asks if we're going to act justly. What does it mean to love mercy? Giving of ourselves with no expectation of anything in return. We all love mercy when it's given to us, right? Mercy feels great when someone gives it to you. Um, is there any better feeling? I, I don't know, maybe it's just me. First service kind of agrees with me. Is there any better feeling than being pulled over and then not getting a ticket when you know you deserved it? Man, it's just like you were going 12 over and you're like, oh man, I deserve this one. And they just, you know, look at your license and tell you to have a nice day. Honestly, it doesn't happen to me very often. I must look like a bad guy because they always give me tickets. <laughs> Best thing is just not to get pulled over, right? Um, Maybe even you go by the police officer and you know they see you and they make eye contact with you. Sometimes this happened to me when I was young all the time. They'd look, they'd like, you know, maybe they'd go like this or they'd flash their lights or whatever to let me know. I know you're speeding, but I'm letting you go, right? They're giving me undeserved mercy. My wife has this classic one. I'll just give you the short version of, we hadn't had Christina with us that long, but we lived out here. She was driving and they had gotten ice cream cones from somewhere and she got pulled over. And the policeman said, I pulled you over because you were scaring me. <laughs> and, and I think said, you know, have you, are you on anything tonight? And she said, no, been drinking, no. And the policeman said, well, obviously you're under the influence of ice cream. Please drive carefully and then let them go, which never happens to me. They would never be that nice to me. But they got undeserved mercy, right? Now, the thing about receiving mercy is that for the one who is getting it, if it's true mercy, it doesn't cost anything, right? If I'm really getting mercy, it costs me nothing. I don't have to do anything for it. But it often does cost the one who is giving it something. If it's real mercy, it can cost us comfort or time. It can cost us money and status. Sometimes it can cost us heartache if we're truly going to give mercy. I'll tell you this, God's mercy for us costs Jesus his life. It's the best example of undeserved mercy, right? God's mercy for us cost Jesus his life. Jesus took the penalty that we deserved. So in loving mercy, if we're gonna do it on this earth and we can't give our life for every person, it wouldn't save them anyway. Um, but mercy, loving mercy means that it costs us something. So practically, how does it look if we're gonna love mercy on this earth? Um, and these are just some things I wrote down. We can face insults without retaliating. When so, someone says something bad to us or about us, in person, or especially online, we can choose to just let it go. That's how you love mercy. We forgive over and over for the same offense. That's a hard one to do. Now, you, I'm not saying you are unwise and you allow people to hurt you over and over again, but maybe in your family, you've got someone who, who says or does stuff that continually bothers you, but it's your family and you gotta forgive them. That's loving mercy, right? Uh, sometimes, and again, this can happen in our family, we face consequences for another person's sin. It's not pleasant, but it happens. You, you have consequences that happen and you didn't make the choice, but you're there anyway and you don't take it out on the person. You face the consequences, write them out. 
Maybe we reach out to the lonely or the neglected and we expect nothing in return. You give something to someone and you don't expect to get anything back truly and deeply in your heart. Those are some practical ways that we love mercy. None of these are easy to do, but that's what loving mercy looks like on a day-to-day basis. I read a quote by this lady, uh, Suzanne Benner online. I don't know who she is, but I want to give her credit. She said this, too often I love justice and I'm rather, rather miserly with mercy. <laughs> too often I love justice. Too, mu- too often I want people to get what's coming to them and I don't want to give them mercy. Um, I just happened to be reading the first part of the Psalms lately. And David in those Psalms, you know, he's saying, Lord, would you protect me? Would you take care of me? Um, you know, I believe you can. And by the way, can you please make sure those bad people get what's coming to them? Right? That's all over the Psalms. And if we're not careful, we will want more justice than we do mercy. And we'll forget to leave that justice part up to God. I'm so grateful, though, that God loves mercy enough to give it to me. And for that reason, I should do my best to give it out to others, even though it's not comfortable sometimes. Uh, I've got a really good example. I didn't realize this till the end of this first service. All my examples today have to do with cars, but whatever. Um, so a while back, was when we first moved out here, I, I went to get the oil change in Chandra's car for her. It's just a, a thing I always do. You know, I think it was a Jiffy Lube or whatever. And they talked me into getting my brakes flushed or something, so they're going to put new fluid in there. So I got it done, um, gave the car back to her, and she calls me, and she's like, the brake pedal's moving up and down by itself. And I was like, no, it's not. And she was like, no, it really is. And I was thinking, there's got to be something else to this. So I go over and check it out. Sure enough, the pedal is just moving up and down like it's possessed in a movie or something, you know. So I go talk to Russ, and he says, bring it over. He looks at it, and he's like, uh, why is there antifreeze in your brake fluid thing? And I was like, that's a good question. <laughs> but <laughs> I know who didn't do it, and that's me, right? So I was fighting mad. I, mean, I knew these guys at uh, Jiffy Lube or whatever had, had uh, done this. And so I called my dad, and I was like, going to go give these guys a piece of my mind, which I don't do very often, but I was cranky about it. And uh, he's like, you know, everybody makes mistakes. You know, I would think twice about it. You know, you make mistakes, I make mistakes, but I'll make mistakes. So, you know, maybe you should think about uh, being good to him. And I did go there and I did say, Hey, I was here yesterday. I think when you guys put antifreeze in my brake fluid thing. And he's like, no, he didn't. I was like, well, the pedal's going up and down and I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And they didn't apologize. They didn't give me anything. They didn't fix it or anything like that. And all I could do was say, Hey, this happened, drive out, buy a new master cylinder, have Russell fix it for me, pay a little bit out of my own pocket. Right. But in that moment, everyone makes mistakes. I had to choose to love mercy. Right? Give the people mercy, even though, in my opinion, you should probably know whether it's antifreeze or brake fluid you're putting in the thing. I don't know. But I'm capable of making the same mistake, I guess. But I had to love mercy in that situation. My dad was totally right. Gave me good advice. The bottom line is we are to love mercy because God loved us enough to give it to us. Even when others don't deserve it, God loved us enough to give it to us. Finally, we're almost done here. What does it mean to walk humbly? If we're going to walk humbly, we realize we didn't create ourselves or anything around us. God created it all, right? We acknowledge that everything we are and everything we have comes from God. In short, if we're going to walk humbly, we surrender to God. We surrender to him. Once again, what does that uh, word surrender look like in our daily life? Uh, To me, it looks like this. We work hard at becoming who God made us to be, not who the world tells us we should be. We work hard becoming who God made us to be, not what the world tells us we should be. If we do that, humility comes because we are submitting our desires to God. We're okay with what he made us, and then we can humbly go about our business. Now, I might step on some toes here, but again, I have some practical things. Surrender, surrendering to God means fixing our eyes on Jesus and not becoming experts in the ways of the world. Not becoming experts in the ways of the world. I read some of these thoughts in a book by this guy named Heath Adamson who uh, helps run Convoy of Hope for the Assemblies of God. Um, it was so challenging to me. Romans 16, he says, says this, be wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil. Wise to what is good, innocent to what is evil. And it means this, we're not ignoring the reality of the enemy or the things of this fallen world, but we are guarding against becoming preoccupied by it. Regarding against becoming preoccupied by it. So how does it apply to walking humbly? Well, just practically, often we don't look as cool to our friends if we aren't well-versed in the things of the world, right? We got to give up our right to look cool to people uh, who are maybe outside Christianity, outside the church, um, in order to be what God made us to be, in order to surrender 
Uh, we don't get to be well-versed in the things of the world. Not that you don't ever know what's going on and you don't be relevant, but we're not to be familiar with the things that are in the world or preoccupied by them. It takes humility to be willing to be not cool. It takes humility to be willing to be not cool. Surrendering as a spouse means maybe you fight harder to connect with and understand your spouse than to be right or to make them more like you. Boy, and that one, uh, when I read that, just uh, hit deeply to me. It's more about connecting than trying to correct what they're doing. Surrendering at work maybe means being comfortable with who God made us rather than spending all of our time trying to fit in. Surrendering, uh, and this is such a huge issue for Christians these days, surrendering means not changing our definition of who God is to justify decisions we are or are not making. Right? We don't get to decide what's in here. But we're going to surrender to God. We've got to live by what's in here. When we surrender to God, it brings humility because we are becoming what he made us to be, not what the world says we should be. We surrender to him by picking up his word, reading it until our heart is soft, until he brings us peace in the midst of all of it. And he will, friends, when we walk humbly, he'll bring us peace through his word. So how do we walk humbly with our God? We surrender to him. So as we finish and I get ready to land the plane and pray over you and invite Pastor Stan up, uh, uh, here's how we land it. We remember there's no physical thing we can give God, no amount of money that's a substitute for truly giving our lives. He's looking for our hearts. He's looking for our time. He's looking, looking for all of us. And how do we give our lives? We act justly by looking inside and being truthful about what's going on inside of us. We love mercy because God gave it to us. We give it to others when it costs us something. We walk humbly by submitting our lives to God and being okay with what it looks like, no matter how it looks to the world, we walk humbly. So, our last day here for 11 and a half years, if you walk out of here remember one thing, uh, remember God's advice, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Let me pray over your friends. I'll invite Pastor Stan. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for all you've done in our midst. Thank you for um, just a bunch of the best years of my whole life, my family's whole life here. Lord, thank you that we, in a lot of ways, have been able to grow up here. Um, you've been so good to us, so good to this church. I pray that this moment, Lord, you'd seal what you've spoken today in our hearts. Um, you would help every one of us surrender ourselves to you, um, give our lives more to you tomorrow than we did today. Um, Lord Jesus, we'd give it all to you. I pray over this church, Heavenly Father, that, um, that it, its best days truly would be ahead of it. Lord, more people would come to know you than ever have. It would be a brighter light in this community than it ever has been. Lord, I pray uh, that you would give Pastor Stan and Chris new and fresh vision for this place. Thank you to every person that comes here, that is here this morning to hear your word. Um, Lord, thank you that you bind us together as your church in this building, outside this building, everywhere in between. Uh, Lord, we give it all to you. Thanks for your word that's sharp as a two-edged sword. And would you let it go with us today? Pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Pastor Stan, would you come this morning? Thanks, Pastor John. Good job. I put my other mic on. I did. I did. I never heard about the uh, the equal height issue. That's me and you could really have a beef on that. I know. I was like, I got kicked out of Disneyland from riding the ride because Yosemite Sam said you had to be this tall, and I was this tall, and they're like, now I could probably go back and sue them and make a lot of money, um, and. Probably not. But uh, hey, I just, I again, want to just close this out. And uh, I talked to Pastor John about it. And he wanted me to share some things. And, um, you know, I appreciate him coming and being able to talk. There's, Chris and I have transitioned three times. Uh, I got to be careful how we say that these days, huh? We went through uh, <laughs> church transitions uh, three different times as youth pastors and associate pastors. Um, so I've been in his shoes. I, I understand the weird thing. The only difference is they never let me talk on my last day. And there might be a reason for that. Um, they were just like, yeah, just get out of here. Um, but I want to thank Pastor John and Chandra, uh, Christina, uh, John and Luke for 11 years of great service, of friendship. And um, I do remember the day in Pocatello, we were at a camp and uh, we were in a, in a place where we needed a worship leader, like somebody full time. And we happened to have just lunch together and uh, he was kind of transitioning out of a different church. And, and that's where, really, I've, I've known him for a long time, but that was where I felt God was putting him here, and, he, and God, God brought him here for a time that we needed him. And, and transition is something that we're always a part of, 
And so um, I, I will say, you know, in the last, gosh, 11 years, we've had a great friendship. Um, but John, thank you so much for leaving the church better than you found it you know, with our online services and everything that when COVID hit, um, and it was a weird thing to be in here by ourselves and talking to John Wayne and Hopalong Cassidy and whatever the gal was, we had cardboard cutouts. Um, I preached to a guy named John Wayne with a gun pointed at me most services. He was right back there. And, uh, and that was a very strange time, but because of what Pastor John is an expert at is all the online stuff. And he built a team that we were just ready. As soon as that hit, we just continued to go online when so many churches were struggling. Uh, so again, thank you so much for, for all the time you put in. Uh, Christina, she's like one of our daughters. Um, we just love her so much. She's fiery at times. Um, her and my wife get along really well. And uh, just want to, again, just watch her grow up and, and grow up with my daughters and just thank them. And Chandra is like the unsung hero. Uh, she did a lot of behind-the-scenes things, ran the books, ran kids' ministries, and you didn't see her very often because she was usually fixing something or whatnot. Um, and John and Luke, you know, the thing is I told Pastor John last night, I said, don't give your keys back, man. You still hang out. Um, you still get to play on the second-place team in softball league. That was last year. This is going to change this year. Uh, so he'll still be playing on the softball team, and his team finally won the championship this last year. What's up? Well, it's Mark's team, but I'm praising you now. I'll praise Mark later. Um, and, and we all know it's really Georgianne's team because she's, she's the one that runs everything. But I want to leave you just with the final challenge, and then we're going to have our, our staff and leaders come up, and we're going to bring their family up and pray for them. And, we have some things, but here's some things I want to share with you. Uh, that, that God often prepares you for what's next by what you're going through now. That's, that's how God does things. Um, you know, back in, in October, and I'll, I'll share briefly, uh, probably a year and a half, Pastor John, but him and I were talking about just possible transitions and things that God was doing in his life and some, some vision that he was having. Um, and it would require a transition from here. And so this last October, uh, I was in my prayer time on a, on a Thursday morning and he was on vacation in Oregon. And I heard, I heard God speak to me, not out loud, but in my heart, uh, prepare for transition. That's, that's, that's what I heard, just a statement, prepare for transition. I wasn't quite sure what that exactly meant. And so he came back and we met and, uh, and I told him that. And he said, what day was that? I said, Thursday. He said, what time? And it was about 5 a.m. in the morning. And he said that he had felt God wake him up and, and he heard similar, a similar phrase in his mind. And so I thought, well, isn't that interesting that, that not that God spoke to both of us, but that God actually spoke to him in the state of Oregon. Um, yeah. <laughs> Where you can get all the drugs you want, by the way, but you can't preach Jesus. Uh, <laughs> all my Oregon friends were like, what? And then they went, yeah, you're kind of right. Um, you know, that, that we both heard God's voice, you know, so, so we didn't know timing. And so we, you need to know as a church that, that he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him. I heard the Holy Spirit. So this isn't something that's shocking to God. And, and I, what I know is when God prepares you for a transition, the transition is always better. There's always something that God has for you. Um, and again, God has what's good for Pastor John and his family. Uh, there is a church, wherever that is, that needs what they have. And just as we did 11 years ago, uh, there's a church that, that needs their expertise in what they do. I think about the story of Elijah and the brook, and if you're familiar with Old Testament, um, Elijah the prophet goes and tells Ahab, he said, hey, it's not going to rain for, until I say it's going to rain, and then God says, go hide in this ravine called the Kareth Ravine. So he goes and hides up in the mountains, and, and he says, God says, I will feed you with ravens, and I will give you water from a brook. So morning, night, these ravens would come, bring him food, and he would drink out of the brook. And the Bible doesn't say how long he was there, but there was a point that the brook dried up. And, and the brook didn't dry up because Elijah was disobedient. As a matter of fact, he, it dried up because he was obedient. He was doing exactly what God told him to do for the amount of time that God told him to do it. And the thing that I know about God, he doesn't tell you how long it's going to be. Isn't that frustrating? God didn't say, okay, Elijah, you're going to be there for six months and two days, and then, and then I need you to move. We don't know how long he was there, but what we do know is something natural dried up, which caused a supernatural reaction. And, and if you read the story, Elijah goes to a town, and there was a woman there whose son was about to die because they had no food, and, and Elijah met this, this little family, and through Elijah's moving from the brook drying up, it became a life source to the woman and her son. So God has something for you guys. There are people that you don't even met yet that need the ministry that you bring. And when you serve God, when you follow God, you have to know that he always has a plan, but he doesn't always give you the details. 
If you gave me the details, you wouldn't need any faith. And I don't know what you're facing today. You may not understand it. I want to tell you something. The Bible never says, hey, as soon as you understand, then you need to obey. Most of the time it says, obey, then I'll help you have some understanding. See, God always, always, always is in control if your life is just to say, God, do whatever it is that you want. God's plan always requires transition of some sort. And transition is seldom comfortable. You might be in a place of transition right now. And, and transition is seldom comfortable. Why don't you think about a baby? Ladies, how many of y'all gave birth? And, and what a great time, right? Nine months, that little baby's growing in your stomach in the womb. It's warm, well-fed, you know, loved on, rubbed. Just, you know, I remember the times when the kids were kicking on her stomach, and it was so cool just to feel the foot, right? You're like, so, wow, and I'm so glad it's in you and not me because I can go. And, and then, the, then the bladder moments, you know, when you're driving, and she's like, ah, and you're like, what? Labor, no, need a bathroom. You remember those moments? See, a baby in the womb, to become what God intends for that child, a birth or a transition must take place. The birthing process has to happen, and in a birthing process, it's pain-free, right, ladies? No, I was all about the epidural. I was like, yeah, we're getting them. Um, some of you know the story where my dad actually bit my mom. I'm sorry, my mom bit my dad. My dad didn't bite my mom. <laughs> Yeah, that didn't come out correctly. That was a lie. Uh, my, my, my mom bit my dad right here. And my dad had a white t-shirt on. And he comes out and I see this blood. And I'm like, what happened? He says, mom bit me during labor. And he, she don't remember doing it. And when we had kids, I was like, you're getting an epidural because you ain't biting me. I mean, that's just, we're just going to pay it. I don't care how much it costs. And so all three of them were pretty enjoyable. All right. But a baby, for it to be born, for it to become what God wants, there has to be a transition, and transition is often painful. Transition is often something that we don't enjoy. And that's when, when, when we, we transition in ministry, okay, there's some maybe pain and, and uncertainty to it, but it's always worth it when you're serving God. And I can tell you that, I've t- we talked to Pastor John, we talk a lot about this, that we're going to look back and say, okay, now I know why. Now I know why. What I appreciate about Pastor John and Chandra is they are booster rockets. What do I mean by that? Well, they came to a church that was struggling in some areas, and they were willing to put in the time and effort to lift us to a higher level. Okay? And you know the thing about a booster rocket? A booster rocket does not get the glory. A booster rocket gets the rocket to a certain point, and then it falls off into oblivion, goes usually into the ocean. And nobody remembers the booster rocket. Who, who gets all the glory? It's the... The astronauts, right? They get in space, they get the interviews, and they really had nothing to do with it. A computer pretty much put them in. But the booster rocket is something that we need to be willing to do as Christians. And that is take a ministry to a higher level. And if we fall off into oblivion or disappear, we've got to be okay with that because that was our job. Well, I appreciate Pastor John and Chandra being booster rockets, and I don't want you to fall away into oblivion, which you won't, all right? But, but you understand my point, is we need to be okay with just getting a, a ministry to a certain place, or maybe to a, a person to a certain place, and if God wants us to fall off in another direction, then that's what we do, but we did our job. And Pastor John and Chandra and the family, they did their jobs, and I appreciate your, your friendship and serving faithfully. Thank you again for leaving CLC better than you found it. God has a plan, and his plan is good. His plan is good. And it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a scary thing sometimes. And I also know that God has assignments at certain places, and this might be you today. You might be just doing one assignment, and God says, I just want you to be faithful to this one assignment. And then the assignment went in, and God has another assignment for you. Life is really all about transition, and it's all about assignments. The question is, is will I fulfill my assignment to the best of my ability? Amen. That's, that's for us today. Will I fulfill my assignment? And so Pastor John Charles, their assignment at our particular church family ended, okay? The friendship hasn't ended. Like I said, keep your keys, man. Come by, stop by, um, and I talk about what it's like to be in second place in a church softball league. Um, I got to keep harping on that, yeah. Um, I probably just doomed my own team, right? No, we have a we have a, we can joke around about that kind of stuff. So, um, anyhow, that's that's all I have for you. With that, um, I'm going to have my leadership team come on up here, and then we're going to have um, we had some professional cookies made, right? And we're going to serve those right afterwards. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and some of our 
some of our staff coming up, board members, um, Mark and Georgiana, I'd love for you guys to come up uh, if you've had some influence in their lives and I want their family to come up. But my wife, she went shopping and got some really cool presents because I totally stink at remembering presents, but my wife is that. So, all right, Pastor John, you guys, I'm going to have you just come right up here and stand in the middle, if you would. And All right, well, let's just pray over them. All right, Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for my family. Thank you for Pastor John and Chandra and Christina and John and Luke. I thank you for bringing them to us um, in these 11 and a half years and just uh, faithfully serving together. I thank you for what you have for them next. Um, this isn't the end, Lord. This is see you later. And I know that the next... Uh, position you have for them is, is exactly where you want them. Uh, there is a church family somewhere that needs them and, and the gifts that you have given them. And I thank you for the growth and everything that's going to happen as a result of that. Now, most of all, I just thank you for a friendship. Thank you for uh, just a family that lives according to your word and that loves you passionately. And we just give you praise and thanks for that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Boys, stay here. All right. So we have some just some thank you gifts that we're going to give you guys, and it is not Optimus Prime. All right. Did you order that on Amazon Prime? Did, did you get your Optimus yet? It's supposed to come today. It's supposed to come today. You're excited? So there's some scooters for you. Look at that. And some of you, if you never noticed, Pastor John actually rides an electric scooter to church sometimes. He buzzes around. So, anyways, just let's just give them a, a thank you and appreciate that. So, all right. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys. I don't know if you have anything to share. Love you. And, uh, amen. Amen. Appreciate you lots and uh, anything. All right. Well, hey, um, we're gonna dismiss you in just a moment. On life groups are tonight, and so if you. Are-